0: Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacy Toth of RealEverything.com. I'm all about loving
1: the skin you're in and being healthy inside and out. And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantine of thePaleoMom.com. I believe that scientific literacy is the key to improving public health.
0: Welcome back to the whole view episode 465. Before that we feels get like a lot of episodes. It is a lot of episodes, and also, we've got change coming, and before we get into this week, I just want to, like, we're not talking about it, but I just want to let you listeners know, do not snooze on listening to next week's episode, because Sarah and I have been working on something for months, years, (laughs) and we are so excited to share news with you next week. Um, I'm... I'm really proud of us and I'm so excited to be able to share it with everybody. So um, I want to thank listeners like Sandy who asked a question this week and people who listen to our show, submit questions, write reviews and do all of that stuff because the news next week is because of them as much as, as it is the work that we've been doing for years. So just, I don't know. I'm feeling like the, the joy like I'm riding that joy wave and I just want to share it and I can't talk about it yet. So it's a little cryptic, but just,
1: you know, be ready for next week. It's exciting. That's what I'm saying. That's all I got. I, I'm in, I'm in the, um, I'm in that it's so close to being able to actually share that I'm almost like, I'm nervous. Do, do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's in that phase of like, my nose just, is cringing up as you say it. I'm like, uh-huh. nope, I that, get it. <laughs> that, that part of like, just the last, that last, that last step and just like holding my breath. Um, so, so that's, I think that's enough cryptic, uh, cryptic tantalizing, uh, uh, spoiler free, sneaky. I don't know what even to call this. I feel like there's a really good word and I'm <laughs> not finding it.
0: I'm. No, it's a heads up. <laughs> You know, it's just, it's a heads up that something, something fun and exciting is coming. You're a part of it and we want to share it with you next week. But this week we are answering a listener question and um, it's one of those questions that when I saw it come in and everything that we're going to be talking about, it reminds me that we've been doing this a very long time. Because where my mind is now is very different than where my mind was when I first did an autoimmune restriction is the word that's being used. I'm using quotation marks, right? Um, Or elimination or whatever we're going to call that. And how I felt and how I approached it and my relationship with food was all very different than where I am. And so I think it's really good that we're kind of revisiting this, both from the perspective of how I might feel or approach it today, is, is definitely different than how yeah. I would have thought or approached it years ago, if that makes sense.
1: No, 100% makes sense to me. And I think, you know, it's one of those, um, the perspective of having, you know, really gone through a health journey to the point where I think we both really understand our own bodies, not that we always make the best choice, but we we have a really good understanding of what the implications are when we make a suboptimal choice. We've really, you know, I think we've we've gotten to a point where we've um healed enough to have a lot of flexibility in both our diet and lifestyles. And we've also gone to a place where the way we eat now is just the way we eat now. Um, the way I shop now is just the way I shop. The way I cook is just the way I cook. And it's, I think, easy to lose sight of how overwhelming it can feel at the beginning. And, you know, I I do get the the benefit of teaching the AIP lecture series a couple times a year. And that, that's always a really mixed group of students, where I have some people who've been doing AIP for years and are looking to troubleshoot and refine. And then I have some people who are completely new to it and are like stepwise implementing it as they learn about it in the course. And so I always get this like centering influence of questions from people who are just new and having a really hard time wrapping their head around one aspect or the other, um, or they can understand the why, but still doing it is, is a real challenge. And I think this question from Sandy this week, it really crystallizes that part of taking those first few steps on an AIP type journey, like whether it's autoimmune protocol, which Sandy's question is, is relevant to, but this could apply to any dietary protocol that includes some kind of elimination because it's very much, um, I, we're going to get into very much a, a mindset question, but there's a practical, a super practical aspect to it as well. So um, without further ado, I think I should, I should read Sandy's question. I'm very grateful to have found your book, The Paleo Approach, at my local library. I have since purchased copies of it and the cookbook for myself and family members because of the vital information in it. And Sandy, thank you. That's uh, so supportive. I, um, I always love hearing when when people not just love my books, but love them enough to, to buy them for, for people in their lives. My question is, having lupus and hypothyroidism causes me to steer clear of various foods and herbs, nightshades and echinacea, and being gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, I'm staying away from other groups of foods and dishes. How can I reach optimal health benefits and nutrients, having to avoid so many things that are supposedly good for you? Thanks, Sandy.
0: Oh, it is tough, and it's hard to get people to understand, like why not eat tomato? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's like, um, but when I. I have learned that the easiest way to do this. So I used to like walk back all the way from, well, inflammation and like this whole, let me try to educate them thing. And now I just say to them, have you ever heard of the deadly nightshade family? Like the deadly nightshades? <laughs> and they look at me and they're like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, like that. My my body still thinks it's deadly. Like it's, yeah, no, it doesn't work for me.
1: <laughs> like okay. My body thinks the leaves and the fruit are the same thing. Yes. Um.
0: And if they're interested or curious and ask questions, then I get into it with them. But honestly, it's – sometimes people just – words come out of their mouth without thinking, and they're not actually interested in being educated about things. And so it saves me the time from having to feel like I need to explain things, and then you get that blank, glazed look, and you're like,
1: (laughs) ugh. I mean uh – This is, this is a, I think a little bit of a tangent, but I, I definitely find it easier if I'm explaining to somebody who's not actually asking me a a question to understand. Um, it's more of a, well, why don't you, why don't, why don't you eat that? Um, so more of a, a judgment type question rather than a curiosity type question. I just find it so much easier to frame the foods that I don't eat as allergies. Uh, I don't think a single food that causes a reaction to me is a true allergy. I think they're all intolerances, sensitivities, and my symptoms are different, uh, with different foods that I don't tolerate. So dairy gives me a migraine. Gluten gives me extreme GI distress. Um, uh, nightshades give me joint pain, right? So it's, it's a little bit different for different foods that I really, you know, still 10 years into this don't tolerate, don't expect to ever tolerate, um, but uh but just saying Ugh, i'm allergic it's just the the easy answer that tends not to tends not to to invite additional questions when it's not that initial question wasn't in good faith anyways right that that initial question was a judgment question um or a baiting question rather than somebody actually looking to understand and, and learn. If somebody's obviously looking to understand and learn, then clearly that's my, that's my favorite person because that's <laughs> my favorite thing to do is to help educate on how food and lifestyle can actually impact health on a really granular level, which, uh, is what, you know, what the AIP is all about too. And
0: I don't think it's a tangent because I do think mindset is important. I'm, you know, what I hear from Sandy, but also I don't want to pick on Sandy because I thought the same way and I know we've gotten this question a lot from a lot of people and I know that you address it in your um, lecture series on AIP, right? Like Mm -hmm. this, this mindset of how can I possibly be getting all of my nutrients or as Sandy said, optimal health benefits and nutrients If I'm avoiding so many things and I know that we'll go kind of into some of that, but I do kind of just from a high level want to parse out um, what works for individual bodies is important to listen to. So, you know, you and I talk all the time about how you might do well with um, corn or legumes and those do not work for me, Mm -hmm. Um, but I have no reaction to. And um, honestly, I'm sensitive to a lot of fats. And so being able to eat full fat dairy like butter and heavy cream without a reaction is magical for me. And both of those foods have different nutrient profiles that can be beneficial, but neither one have something that can't be found in other foods that we're eating. And so I think, you know, when we think about, well, I'm eliminating, what are we eliminating? Because it feels like, oh, I'm eliminating a food, therefore I must be eliminating a nutrient, which is not necessarily the case. Those two are not mutually um, exclusive. Inclusive? Yeah. Okay. Exclusive, Exclusive. I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, for example, one of the things that I heard when we first started eliminating, not even from an AIP perspective, but just eliminating gluten and dairy from the boys' diets when they were younger was, well, how are you going to get your vitamin D? And, I, you know, when I explained, well, vitamin D is actually added to milk. Um, yeah. And these are the other foods in our lives that... Um, have vitamin D in them in a higher ratio, more absorbable because they're natural and you can get vitamin D from the sun. Uh, you know, like all those things, it was it was like it blew people's mind because I, I think that there is a perspective from popular culture that there are certain foods that you get certain nutrients from and where that came from, who knows? Some advertisements in the 70s in some cases, random, play, you know what I mean? Who, yeah. I don't, I can't even, but All we can do is focus on the facts, which we will deliver, as always, (laughs) in today's show.
1: Um, I think that's a good place to start as I, you know, I kind of want to break, um, our answer to Sandy's question up into two parts and kind of talk about the mindset of eliminations and then also talk about restrictions and eliminations in general and some of the places where people can get tripped up in when adopting the AIP and overly restrict, um so i think the mindset here is is really really important and i think you know one of the things that you mention is that these foods have sort of a reputation of being healthy that's not actually earned when you actually look at what's in that food what nutrients it has you, they're especially like whole grains are incredibly underwhelming nutritionally They've got some fiber, they've got some B vitamins, they've got some minerals. But if you think about the other foods that would be on your plate, if you decide to go grain-free, you're probably going to replace that dinner roll with a a vegetable, a sweet potato maybe, or even a white potato, Uh, not on the AIP because that's a a deadly nightshade. But but that's the type of food, right? You're going to almost certainly replace starch for starch. And even picking something like a potato, which as far as vegetables go, is not the the biggest nutrient superstar, you're getting tons more nutritional benefits from that vegetable than you are from that grain. And I think one of the reasons why this is so hard for people who are new to uh, sort of elimination type diets is because so many foods in the food supply right now, especially packaged foods, uh, manufactured foods, Uh, fast foods rely on wheat, soy, corn, and dairy as dominant ingredients. Just cutting out those four foods can eliminate what feels like hundreds of different things, right? It eliminates because cookies and bread, right? And muffins and tortillas all are basically made from wheat, right? So if we just cut out just wheat, it feels like we're cutting out so many staple foods um so many breakfast foods like it can really feel overwhelming and one of the things that i've been really thinking about as i build nutrivore is this idea of variety we've talked about the importance of variety in f- fruits and vegetables on the show before um but also just for food variety equals nutrient variety and i think what's happening with our food supply right now is that some of the most nutritionally underwhelming foods are the dominant ingredients in most of the foods, especially the inner aisles in a grocery store. So it looks like variety um, because we're eating it in different, right? Different manufactured forms, but it actually represents very little variety and foods that didn't have a ton of nutrients to begin with. And then the more they're refined and processed, the more those nutrients are, are stripped out of the food as well. So we end up feeling like we're eating variety. Meanwhile, it's mostly nutritionally underwhelming foods. In addition, having compounds that can be very problematic for people with autoimmune disease or other chronic illnesses. And it can feel very overwhelming to sort of think about, well, I'm going to be cutting out the basis of my meals up into this point. So I think it's really helpful to kind of look at the autoimmune protocol. Um, and part of it is, it's just a learning curve, right? So so part of this is really understanding what a healthy diet looks like, really understanding how so many foods that are promoted as healthy and good for us aren't. So for example, a food can say it's a good source of a nutrient if it has 10% or more of the daily value per serving of that one nutrient. So there are foods out there that'll say good source of vitamin C, one serving which can be even a couple hundred calories is only giving you 10% of vitamin C and it might have nothing else in the entire food so understanding right doing that sort of basic education in terms of how misleading food labels can be the the ways a lot of the terms that are used on food labels are very poorly regulated um really understanding what nutrients are in foods um, that's very, very helpful. Um, and that's been a huge part of my own like health journey, but also my own professional journey is, um, first understanding how compounds and foods interact with the immune system in sort of popularizing, popularizing, popularizing the autoimmune protocol, but then also diving really deep into the gut microbiome research. And then all of the foundational content that I'm creating for NutriVore, it's kind of all come together, to really paint this very detailed picture of the value of foods for me. Um, but I think that, um, I think that starting to get into like, just understanding how much better fruits and vegetables are over grains as a step one is like so phenomenally important because they tend to have something like 10 to 20 times more nutrition than even like the most unprocessed, like ancient whole grain. And so it's, it's just really helpful to sort of dig into understanding um, how much misinformation there is out there about what foods are actually health promoting foods. But then there's a practical learning curve to this as well. So I always liken this to when you move out of the house for the first time, and you have to like, all of a sudden, you're learning how to shop and cook meals on a budget and you thought you knew how that was going to go. But then the first time you get to a week before payday and you only have 20 bucks for food and you're going to spend the rest of the week eating, when I was in grad school, it was peanut butter sandwiches. That's obviously not going to be a great food for me now. But the first time you kind of go through that experience and the the learning that goes on in that experience, I think is um, at least some of that is sort of redone with the autoimmune protocol. The great thing is you've done it before. So you have the experience of having learned how to grown up before to be able to apply to this. So you're basically learning how to shop maybe in some new stores or different aisles. You're learning how to cook different meals. Maybe you're learning new cooking techniques. You're still learning how to do it on your budget. Um, and you're at the same time sort of adapting your taste buds to some new foods. It's, I really liken it not to a trend. I don't like to think of it as a transition. I don't like to think of it as, um, you know, having to exert willpower. I think of it in terms of, of learning and, and really just trying to, to troubleshoot how the autoimmune protocol is going to fit into your life, not how you're going to adjust your life to fit into the autoimmune protocol.
0: I think another thing to consider, too, is how many resources are available now. Um, yeah. I know for me, part of what was so difficult was just feeling uh, endlessly, like, alone and, like, overwhelmed and everything had to be handmade and brought places. And there are so many resources. Um, and then there's also so many actual products that can be made. And I do think that if we focus on what we can do, right? Like how many foods can be replicated from the many resources and cookbooks that are in writing. Um, I know I use Pinterest to find a lot of like free recipes on the internet, Mm -hmm. oftentimes from most of these bloggers who have also published cookbooks, right? So you can try recipes out free on their blogs. And if you like their recipes, Support them with buying a cookbook, and then you get a whole bunch more recipes that you can't find online. Um, and I just think about also like these things that are available now that were not available back in the day, like the jovial yeah. cassava pasta. Um, mm-hmm. you know, like that's magic because back in the back in the back in my days, back in the <laughs> olden days, like Jen from Predominantly Paleo was teaching us all how to boil and blend yuca from raw yuca to make dough. And now you can just buy cassava flour, you know, and so there are so many things where I know that it's I'm not I'm not belittling the fact that it that we're eliminating a lot of foods to optimize health, the goal is for it to be short term to heal and to bring some back. But if we adopt this mindset of abundance, if we, in all things life, this has been like my biggest lesson over the last couple of years. If we assume the best of this elimination diet, like look how much I am able to enjoy. Um, then I think that it really does help not just make it more enjoyable, but also the healing process. Cause the more stressed you are about what you can't have, the less your body will heal. And I tell you that Because I know that it's true because it happened to me. Like it wasn't until I started really letting go of focusing on the elimination side and started on adding nutrients to my diet, focusing on, you know, the things that I could do and, and that whole mindset thing, um, that really helped the physical healing. They do go hand in hand. It's not just some woo-woo stuff. Inflammation is directly tied to stress, and so if we're trying to reduce the inflammation in our bodies, um, which is almost always the case with an autoimmune um, anything, right? Like our immune function gets ramped up from inflammation. So let's reduce the inflammation. We need to also be reducing the stress. So um, I just I want to. All of that is is important, and it starts with telling yourself you can do this. Um, There are available resources. Look at what I can have. This can be fun. I will try new things, and you're not going to like everything. Let me just tell you right now. I've tried some AIP recipes and products where I'm like, we cannot call that a replication of what the original was. I'm not going to, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, myself included. Okay. Like I've tried to make recipes that I was like, Nope, can't, that can't go anywhere. Um, but, but that's that's part, I mean, but you hear me laughing because it's, it's part of the process. And if we allow ourselves to get super stressed out about it and, Cry because it was, you know, super overwhelming and those sort of things. Again, I know because I've been there, um, it doesn't help the healing process, which is what we're really truly focused on.
1: Yeah, I think that is a really, really massively important point is um, switching that just the, the self talk about the autoimmune protocol or whatever the protocol is that you're following. From a what am I cutting out to what am I eating, and I, I really recommend um, you know taking on the the challenge of exploring new foods, and that might include like finding a a new recipe that replicates an old favorite, or just plain old finding new favorites, um, or finding a new favorite right comfort food, a new favorite treat, a new Um, convenience food that makes your life simpler, like taking it as an opportunity to try new foods in. um, So in the autoimmune protocol lecture series, I um, have twice weekly discussions and the discussions typically involve a lot of mindset sort of aspects of the autoimmune protocol. Um, And we have a couple of different discussions where we talk about New finding new comfort foods, um, what new foods have we tried. There's one discussion that's basically like, it's just an opportunity to share the new recipe that that you found that really like made a difference in your life personally. So it's like a resource sharing type opportunity. And one of the reasons why I incorporate these types of conversations into the Atomian Protocol Lecture Series is it's so helpful to really switch that dialogue from uh, the thing that I'm missing to the amazing discovery, right? This new favorite, favorite, favorite food. And one of the things that I think is really, is really helpful is again, that, you know, Stacy, when you and I both first went AIP, for me, it was like nine and a half, more than nine and a half years ago. And there weren't cookbooks, right? My first cookbook, the Paleo Approach cookbook was the, the, uh, I guess it was the second AIP cookbook out there. Cause I think Mickey's autoimmune paleo cookbook came out before mine. They came out the same year though. So like there was nothing. And then there was both of our books. Um, and now I just want to read through the like imprint. This isn't counting the dozens and dozens of different AIP eBooks out there. Um, the imprint books that you could order from all like amazing AIP bloggers, so there's mine, The the Paleo Approach Cookbook and the Healing Kitchen that I wrote with Elena Haber. There's uh, Mickey's, The Autoimmune Paleo Cookbook and um, The Nutrient-Dense Kitchen, uh, Angie's book, The Alternative Autoimmune Cookbook. There's Nourish by Rachel Bryant, Simple French Paleo by Sophie Van Tigelen, uh, who has also written Autoimmune Protocol Made Simple Cookbook and Autoimmune Protocol Meal Prep Cookbook. There's uh, He Won't Know It's Paleo by Brianna Emmett. There is, uh, the autoimmune P- protocol comfort food cookbook by Michelle Hoover, uh, brand new, just come out, uh, the autoimmune protocol reintroduction cookbook by Kate J brand new just came out AIP Indian fusion by Indira Puliadith and, uh, available now for pre-order. I think it's coming very soon. The paleo gut healing cookbook by Allison Morris. And almost every single recipe is AIP or can be easily modified to be AIP. Um, so like a huge, like but there's. Probably over a thousand recipes just, just in those cookbooks, I, if not 1,500. Like, I haven't counted them. I'm just pulling that number out, yeah. out of my book. Well, and but... I can
0: think of a ton of people like Christina and myself who write um, a lot of recipes that are what most people end up being able to add back after mm-hmm. the full elimination, right? So how many nightshade-free resources and recipes and that kind of stuff thing are out there right but might not necessarily be seed free for example um or egg free because a lot of people are able fortunately to add those back after elimination so um i will add my nomado sauce is not in a cookbook that i think i don't think or in any of our cookbooks but um it's on our blog and it's it's the best out there i'm just gonna put that i'm just gonna I'm going to make this statement that if you're trying to replace tomato anything, check our blog.
1: <laughs> I, I don't know if you noticed, but I actually put in mention Stacy's Epic tomato sauce <laughs> in the show notes. I called it Epic um, because I think that's like, that's the other part of it is um, to find the easy swaps right? So the meal that you already make, that you already love, that if you just swap out one ingredient, now you've got an AIP meal. So if you're looking to swap out uh, tomato sauce, then uh, your tomato sauce is the best. Um, There's also some some packaged options. I highly recommend checking out Shop AIP, um, which is an online shop, but it's a completely curated collection. It is Um, everything's super clearly labeled. So one of the things that the owner, Sandra has done is she has, um, labeled by reintroduction. So you can easily go, you know, I'm in, you know, early phase, elimination phase, AIP, strict AIP, all of that sort of like different terminology for the same thing. Um, and that's, you can just filter by that or yeah, I've reintroduced, uh, black pepper you know, so what, what new foods can I, can I add? So you can sort. Um, but she goes to great lengths to vet every single product that she, um, includes. So it's shopaip.com, And she actually, this is not a sponsored episode, but she created a coupon code for us to share with our listeners. So the coupon code is the whole view and it'll get you 15% off your order. So I highly recommend for any listener who is AIP thinking about AIP, Um, What's fantastic about Sandra's collection is it's all the way from convenience foods, snack foods, right? The thing that you might keep in your purse for an emergency, like I'm stuck in traffic and I'm starving, all the way from that to uh, AIP cookies to um, ingredients that just make cooking AIP in your house like that much easier. Um, So those, those are my top resources. But I think that you know, when it comes to simple swaps, there's there's you already mentioned the jovial cassava pasta, um, Japche noodles, sweet potato noodles are also AIP. Um, just exploring things like green plantain to me is the most magical ingredient ever. Um, and um understanding just how versatile it is, I think is is really wonderful. Um, things like learning how to make a really simple homemade salad dressing. Or you could get an AIP salad dressing from Shop AIP too. Um, but understanding, like, hey, I already love this meal that's like roast chicken and roast vegetables. And if I just swap out the potato for sweet potato um, and I change my seasoning on my chicken, then it's an AIP meal. Or I really love this steak and salad. If I just get a different salad dressing that's AIP, then this is an AIP meal. Like, thinking of the meals that you already make that you already love and you just need to tweak one ingredient or right I'm going to make this thing but it's going to have Stacy's epic tomato sauce I believe you need to change the name of it on on your (laughs) website to epic tomato sauce um right whatever that one little tweak is and especially if it's something like the tomato sauce where you can make a big batch and then put it in your freezer and save it for the meals that you need it um those those are the, a great place to start cuz you already know how to make that meal and you already love it and just just if it's just a thing of like swapping out one ingredient for something that's a that's a AIP option that that's that's I think the easiest and then you can make more of your meals look like that so one of the things that I did when I first went paleo there was very few there were no like paleo noodles at the time there was basically just spiral cut vegetables um And so I just stopped making meals that looked like pasta and started making more meals that looked like some kind of roast meat and vegetables. And that was already a meal that I cooked often. It just became the meal that I cooked most often. Um, And so certain things just kind of fell by the wayside. And it, it was fine because I was focusing on the familiar meals that I already knew that I liked that were already easy to adapt
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. I never would have known how much I loved soup had I not like been trying to lean into foods that were along that spectrum that were easy to make in large batches that, you know, I could have over and over again and discovered that I was a soup person. Um, That's a, the understatement of the world. I do, <laughs> I do just want to clarify that if someone is looking for my recipe, it's actually called a fomato sauce. Mm. There's lots of nomato recipes out there. I think it's called fomato marinara. We'll put a link in the show notes. But I what I do want to point out about that, though, is to Sandra's original question about nutrients, right? If we look at, for example, replacing a tomato sauce that had one vegetable. I, technically tomatoes a fruit, but let's
1: just <laughs> bear it's with a me for a culinary vegetable. So I think we're okay to call it a it's not a it's a botanical fruit, but it's a culinary vegetable. Right. Um,
0: and in my fomato sauce recipe, we use butternut squash, carrots, and beets. Um, we also use broth um as an addition to cooking it. And so if you look at the nutritional profile of the tomato sauce to the Fomato sauce. I'm sure Sarah, based on a NutriVore score that it would be higher to have that variety
1: plus broth. Is that. Butternut squash is the highest NutriVore score, NutriVore score squash. I mean, tomatoes aren't don't fare too badly because they're, they're pretty high in especially. Carotenoids and stuff. If people are enjoying their
0: tomatoes, go enjoy your tomatoes. I just want to point out that like we're,
1: we haven't just lost all of that nutrition. No, I think I I 100% agree with you that you almost certainly beat out tomatoes in terms of if we're we're going to measure nutrient density with a NutriVore score, which of course uh, none of our listeners can go find out anything else about yet because I haven't published (laughs) any of that. I keep forgetting that the conversations we have like (laughs) that are
0: shared and recorded versus not, but you know, that's our listeners get a little like, You know, preview. little,
1: Little teaser, I spent basically the last like eight months developing a nutrient profiling method um in order to quantify the nutrient density of foods. I started off first like going through all the scientific literature on nutrient profiling and trying to choose a method. I was gonna be like, oh, let's look at what scientists have done. And I basically could not find anything that I felt even remotely actually like fairly represented the nutritive value of food. Everything kind of had this like weird um, like retrofitting to the USDA dietary guidelines. I was like, why don't we adapt the USDA dietary guidelines for the insight we get by looking at like nutrient density? Um, so it just everything I found, I was like, this is just, it's just not quite right. So I ended up developing my own nutrient profiling method, which is going to be the the basis of the new website that I'm building called NutriVore, which will hopefully launch this fall. That's, I'm sort of targeting November at this point. So stay tuned because I, I think it's going to be a really epic resource. Um, but that's what the NutriVore score is. It's sort of a, a nutrient profiling method to basically represent nutrients per calorie in an individual food. And I've calculated about 300 nutra scores so far. So I don't remember them all. They're not all memorized, but I do remember tomatoes were a surprise, but butternut squash was like super awesome. Carrots are fantastic. So I'm still in my, without the nutra scores in front of me, I'm still betting the Fomato marinara sauce is a way more nutrient dense option than tomato sauce.
0: And I think just from a mindset perspective, it's not that we're entirely losing nutrients from no longer eating nightshades, or in this case, tomatoes in particular, we're replacing it with something else. And when we think about all the different swaps that we can make, versus, oh, I don't have that anymore. I think this is kind of I just wanted to recircle us back around to that mindset approach to Sandra's question. I think also it brought us to try new foods, right? Like there, there's a ton of, for example, cassava, which we've mentioned many times. I never had before Um, I was working on eliminating potatoes, which is a nightshade, for example, Um, or wheat. It often can replace wheat Um, Mm -hmm. now that there's flour. Back in the day, (laughs) it wasn't. But now, I mean, cassava flour is incredible in baking. And- you know, so many, so many things that have been introduced to my life as a result of working towards those
1: eliminations. So many things that I prefer. I think that's the other thing is, you know, sort of being forced to experiment with other root vegetables. Um, You know, I would rather eat roasted taro or, or yuck, homemade yucca fries or boniato mashed boniato root oh my gosh like I I would rather eat those than a potato now um even though I'm okay if I eat a potato once in a while like it doesn't tomatoes still no, but potatoes I can I can do a little bit same same I just don't eat Uh, I don't need the skin I can't do too much of the skin or I'll feel it in my bones um again I think Well, maybe I could eat them more often if I didn't eat the skin. I I, I'm good. Like once a week I can handle them and I don't notice anything. If it starts to become a, you know, every couple of days type, uh, choice, then, um, I definitely start to notice the, the inflammation buildup. Um, but I think that, you know, things that I discovered. So one of the things that I think happens with AIP is you kind of lose umami and, Um, and so the things that I started experimenting with, right, like adding I add mushrooms to pretty much everything. Turns out mushrooms are one of the most nutrient dense foods and they have unique nutrients, including Stacey. Did I tell you about ergothionine? It's a non-proteinogenic amino acid that is our dominant food source by a million miles as mushrooms. That is actually called the longevity vitamin because it's been shown to extend lifespan. I don't, I'm, I'm wondering why we have two dedicated mushroom shows
0: and we're just talking about this now.
1: Because I, I really only learned about it. Like we're going to, we're going to be
0: bathing in mushrooms. We're going to be drinking Mm -hmm. the mushroom soup. We're just going to, it's the fountain of youth is what I'm hearing. Just all, all the mushrooms. All the mushrooms.
1: Got it. Um, but that was, that was my tangent. I was on my way to discovering, so discovering things like fish sauce, fish sauce was not an ingredient I ever cooked with before. And it is basically liquid umami in a bottle or truffle salt. Again, uh, the best salt ever is really what it should be called on the, on the front, like discovering those types of cooking ingredients where a little goes a a really, really long way in terms of a flavor enhancer. Like those are things that I discovered because of my AIP journey. And I will never be able to look backwards. Like I'll, I'll never be able to just use salt and pepper again, not when truffle salt exists. (laughs)
0: I'm not big on truffle salt but the other ones you mentioned yes and also I just want to highly recommend that people add more like lemon and lime juice to their foods Mm. um that is a huge flavor boost that I can't believe I wasn't using more of before just in general right like it's a fantastic addition to cooking almost always I find
1: um balsamic vinegar too Mm -hmm. like can Mm -hmm. can do this it's sort of the same job where that acid just like brightens the flavor um yeah good balsamic foods are delicious
0: yeah good balsamic is like a comfort food to me and I remember when I was changing over salad dressings going to just high quality olive oil and balsamic and I was working in the office at the time and I would just leave a bottle in my desk and just only bring you know like the part of the salad but then dress it at my desk and I would put kelp salt on top as well for an additional flavor boost and um, sea vegetables and at the time that was comfort food to me and maybe you hear that and you're like Stacy you're weird and that's fine I am I know but, but I just hear that and I'm feeling hungry so... <laughs> but there's so many other things that you know are maybe somebody else is comforted by for example bacon right mm-hmm. you like there's a lot of things that are being eliminated but go ham on your bacon <laughs> yuck, yuck, yuck. i know that was for Sarah um <laughs> <I> appreciate it <laughs> you're welcome um you know seafood is oftentimes something that we don't it, we we save for special occasions indulge go for it get whatever you know what I mean like steak have a weekly steak night instead of a weekly pizza night or whatever you know what I'm I just i'm like lean into all those things that are on the yes list that you love and feel good about and making that's a, maybe that's a thing for you, right? Is create a list of the things that are not eliminated that you really love. Um, and use that as a go-to when you're feeling stressed about the eliminations and, um, enjoy. And I just want to point out how all of those things that I mentioned, um, and other comfort foods that we've mentioned, like cassava fries or, um, whatever it might be for you, those all have nutrients. Like we're going back to the question of concern about losing nutrients. All of these are not void of nutrients. Like just because we no longer have, for example, there's a steak pasta at one of my favorite restaurants. That is something that I have given thought to (laughs) over the past 10 years, right? Like it's something that I'm like, oh, that it was really good. And I could recreate it if I wanted to now with like cassava flour and lime crema and steak tips and whatever. But also I just was satisfied for a really long time when I was thinking about that dish making a steak and knowing that I was getting the same nutritional benefits. Like there wasn't anything that that pasta was bringing to the table that, uh, you know, a baked sweet potato couldn't offer me. So
1: just, you know,
0: you just remind bring, yourself.
1: Bringing to the table. And I, I'm I just full wanted, of puns today. I just today. want to, I just want to welcome. call it out because it was a second epic pun. I know. You just needed to lean in a little bit more. Um, I think actually that's that's another really important point for Sandy is to emphasize that there's absolutely room for treats on the AIP. Um, We actually just recently talked about this in episode 459, where we talked about sort of gluten-free baking and our best tips and tricks, but we also kind of did a deep dive into sugars in that episode. And Sandy mentioned in her question about being sugar-free, and I I just want to clarify that the autoimmune protocol is not a zero-sugar diet. It's rather a sort of low-added sugar, but fruit is totally awesome. Studies show that like three servings of fruit per day – three to five servings of fruit per day actually, um, has huge health benefits above and beyond vegetables. So eating lots of vegetables is really super beneficial, probably one of the most important aspects of the autoimmune protocol, but fruit is sort of like independently, independently beneficial. Um, and then there's still, even like added sugars, like using honey or maple syrup or molasses to make a treat, that's totally fine. The idea is to use those in moderation and enjoy an occasional treat, right? To not um, to not use it as a as a crutch to to make the dietary changes. But at the same time, um, one of the things that I think is really important when we talk about the autoimmune protocol is the idea of talking about currency. So one of the most common things that I see when I'm teaching about the autoimmune protocol or I'm in a, you know, uh, doing a workshop or something like that is that, um, I would do the AIP if only, right. That's type of idea. I would, I, I could do everything if only I didn't have to give up coffee or I could do, I could do all the rest of it. If only I could still eat chocolate And I refer to that as sort of like a currency. It's like that one trade that you can make that makes everything else seem approachable. And my recommendation is then make that trade, like do it. If keeping your morning coffee in makes all the rest of it seem approachable and okay, you can always revisit coffee later as maybe that's not working for you but you can use it to get through that learning curve so that you get to the point where that way of eating feels more natural and feels easy. Like it it just is the way you eat. And then you can take a more critical look at coffee. At that point, you can kick the can on on evaluating how coffee is working for you. Maybe it would have been a successful reintroduction and you can heal wonderfully without ever having eliminated it. Maybe you'll get to a point, you know, a a month or two or three down the road where you're like, oh, I'm doing all of this work, but I'm still not feeling my best. Ugh, time to, time to look at, you know, an herbal coffee, like sip herbals, you know, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do something like that instead. So um, so that trade I think is a really important uh at least for some people to be able to get into that mindset of being like ready to, to tackle the learning curve, right. And to, to really commit to figuring out, right. What there's, there's so many different aspects of our day-to-day lives that we all need to find our individual solutions for. So uh, whether that's a collection of recipes that can be made for you know, a weeknight dinner when you're in a real rush or um, what you're going to eat for breakfast if you sleep in? Um, those types of challenges. Uh, you know, where where am I going to go find this? You know, these kinds of ingredients. Am I going to change which grocery store I go to? Am I going to go to a farmers' market? Am I going to find new online vendors to use? Um, what am I going to bring to a potluck? Uh, which restaurant can I go to and get something that's uh, that's going to work for me? Right. Those individual challenges take planning and preparation to solve and having the, the dedication to going through and solving those challenges for each of us, for some people keeping something, you know, not restricting something and doing that trade, um, you know, exchanging that currency can make everything else kind of fall into place. And that is always, always a good trade.
0: I agree. And I'm, I'm glad you addressed the, Aspect of having like that one thing. Um, I think also sometimes we tell ourselves it's just that one thing because we have a fear of failure or a fear of not being able to accomplish the goal or how long it might take or a fear of what will people think or, you know, whatever it is. Oftentimes it's a fear that drives us to emotionally and mentally convince ourselves, well, I would, but for this thing. And so really, again, it's being your own problem solver and assuming the best, like I can do this and saying, and I will do this. I'll just drink coffee. Like I I will do every other part of this and I'll drink coffee. And maybe you're going to see, you'll feel better or you'll see something that will motivate you to say, I'll, maybe I can give up coffee for a week, right? Like you'll just, you'll tell yourself whatever it is and that's okay. No one is asking for perfection. This is not the kind of thing where, you know, you might as well not do it at all if you can't do it perfectly. That is absolutely not what Sarah or I would ever tell you. There's a lot of benefit to um, doing everything you can as best you can. And Could it be a thing that's preventing optimal healing? We don't know. That's you and your body and and all of those things. But what we can tell you is that science has developed this list of foods that could be causing a reaction in your body. And if you are going to drink, for example, coffee, make it the best coffee, make it worth drinking, make it, you know, a clean coffee that is organic and, you know, processed cleanly and all that kind of stuff so that you're reducing as much heartache, hardship, hardship on your body as possible, right? Like make it like that. And I I would say over time, you will learn to adapt to those things. And you might be saying, Sarah, I don't want to make like cassava flour, molasses sweetened, whatever. Like that's, that's not what I want. I want a cookie. Um, we hear you, but maybe just don't have cookies at all for a week or two and really enjoy fruit. I remember going through this process and being shocked at how delicious fruit was just like by changing my palate and enjoying, especially right now in summertime, like fresh seasonal availability of so many fruits and vegetables and just like really feeling like I could understand their flavor in a way that I hadn't paid attention to. And I, I think that that really affects overall everything that you're doing with food and you start to have a relationship with food where you you allow yourself to enjoy it. You allow yourself to relax into it. it. We never want to create this kind of like diet culture mindset with food where you're feeling guilty about the choices that you're making or you're, you know, you have, you, you feel a desire to restrict fruit because you feel like I should do that. Like that's, that's not what this is about. This is, this autoimmune protocol is not about weight loss. Um, you might lose weight on it. You might improve your health is the goal on it, but we're certainly not here to tell you like how to, this is not a tailored for weight loss. Like that's not why we're eliminating these things. And so, um, if you start to apply that perspective of removing fruit or these other sort of things, um, I think it can actually be more detrimental than it can be beneficial, right? And so we want to adapt our palate. We want to enjoy food. We want to learn to think of food as something that fuels us and nourishes us, both emotionally and physically. Learn what your comfort foods are and how you can bridge into them either as a replication or as you reintroduce and all those things. So um I just I think it's very important as we consider how we feel about the autoimmune protocol. And that's what I meant in the beginning of how I would approach it. Like I just, I had a really twisted relationship with food and elimination diets and diet culture in general. And, you know, I had been so weight loss focused for a while that as I did autoimmune protocol and I started to really nourish my body, um, my brain was confused in terms of the disconnect of weight, we're, no longer focused on just losing weight. Like, are you sure we need to eat more and we need to eat fruit and like all this kind of stuff? Um, And that's legit. Like maybe one of the things that we need to add to this like mindset idea is talk to somebody, whether it's a therapist or a partner or a best friend to remind you that you're doing it to nourish your body and take care of your body and that health is not about a number on a scale, and that if you can reduce inflammation and reduce, you know, an autoimmune response, those are things that are going to improve your health. Like, and we know, the science is very clear, that that is what is important as it comes to, you know, longevity and um, reduced health issues as you age, if we are nourished and our body has low inflammation and feels good and all that stuff. I mean,
1: I think that's an excellent segue to, I think, the last really important point that I want to make for Sandy, but for like all of our listeners, is to make sure that the restrictions that you are taking on, hopefully with a positive mindset, um, also make sense. And we've talked about this actually on two recent shows. So um, in episode 463, just two weeks ago, we talked about the science, or rather lack thereof, behind candida cleanses. And then in episode 457, we talked about the problems with low FODMAP diets, especially um, done over the long term. And the common theme with both of those shows, and I'm sort of wanting to bring that conversation into this episode, is that um, there are these protocols out there that uh, some of them have some science behind them. Some of them don't. Um, and I, I see this as being one of the most common stumbling blocks is, uh, combining the autoimmune protocol with some other, um, dietary structure that does actually make the diet overly restrictive to the point where exactly what Sandy's concerned about, like, how am I supposed to achieve nutrient sufficiency? How am I supposed to support a healthy gut microbiome where actually, yes, when you restrict to that level, those things are basically impossible. And so I see this with low FODMAP. Uh, I see this with Candida. I see this with GAPS, SCD, uh, very low carb or ketogenic approaches. And I also see this with veganism um, combined with the AIP where it basically you're you're cutting out all food sources of specific Nutrients, and it basically means that the this primary foundational tenet of the autoimmune protocol, which is nutrient sufficiency, meaning where the goal is to get all of the essential and non-essential nutrients that our bodies need to be healthy, to get all of those from the foods that we eat, um, which is why. We focus so much on nutrient-dense superfoods on the autoimmune protocol, uh, lots of seafood, tons of veggies, fruit, eating organ meats and out-to-tail. Those things are really, really important on the autoimmune protocol. And when we start eliminating all starchy vegetables, I mean, the starchy vegetables are so important for the gut microbiome. When we start eliminating... Uh, fermented foods. Fermented foods are super important for the gut microbiome. When we start going to low carb we're eliminating starchy vegetables and fruit, we're missing out on really important nutrients. And um, and so it's it's really important. Again, I think you know knowledge is power in this in this sense. And it's why the Autoimmune Protocol lecture Series is so rigorous in both why we're eating certain foods and why we're eliminating others. And then also wrapping in, um, you know, lifestyle and troubleshooting and, um, you know, all of these other aspects that all sort of combine to support our health, you know, what, uh, how it would work with a physician, all of those things are covered in this course. And it's because, we can get ourselves into trouble with this restrictive mindset. And I think it comes, you know, I sort of blame, I blame diet culture a hundred percent. Um, you know, you look back to the seventies, which is sort of the start of diets being framed, not just based on eating less, but based on eliminating something. So low fat diets were sort of the first and then came along low carb diets um, keto diets and the, all of these diets. What they have in common is you cut out something. I remember there was a, a diet. Um, I guess this would have been the '90s. That was like no white foods, um, which I I still think is strange because there's some really healthy white foods like mushrooms. Um, but it it when you frame a diet based on what you cut out and not based on what you eat, like what you cut out doesn't make a diet healthy or not. It's the foods that you actually eat that make a diet either nutrient-sufficient or not, right? That supports your health or it doesn't. Um, And what you cut out is sort of irrelevant uh, other than the point of, have I cut out all food sources of specific nutrients that are really important for my health, right? So other than that important concept. Um, And I think that what's happened with diet culture now basically 50 years of framing diets based on what you don't eat is that the first place we go, when we go to troubleshoot, if we've had some success on a diet where I didn't eat these things, that was how I framed this diet. I, I cut out these things. I eliminated these things. Um, then when that diet stops working or I want something else or I hit a flare and I, I feel like I need to, to troubleshoot, something's not working for me it's like human nature. If restrictions worked before, then obviously the thing that's going to work now is more restrictions. And we end up falling down this, uh, diet culture rabbit hole where we just cut out more and more and more foods. And we're seeing that now in, um, things like the carnivore diet, which we've talked about on the show before, um, ketogenic diets, um, you know, fruitarian raw vegan, right there, these diets where, um, where they're, they're, they're based on cutting out more and more and more foods. Um, and the, the science supporting those diets is, uh, as you know, health promoting diets for the everyday person. It's not, does not exist. Um, you know, keto has some, uh, narrow therapeutic benefits and things like refractory epilepsy, Um, again, we've talked about this on the show before and in incredible depth. We've done a couple of shows on keto. Um, but I think the the issue with this type of mentality when we think about defining a diet based on restrictions is there's no place to go from there. And that's why I've worked so hard to educate on the autoimmune protocol based on what we do eat. So in the AIP lecture series. The the first week is all like basic foundational, you know, how the immune system works, that type of stuff. The second week is what do we eat? What is nutrient density? Why is it important? And then weeks three and four about eliminations. So I think it's really important to, to bring this concept back to make sure your restrictions make sense. Make sure that they're compatible with health. This is where working with somebody like an AIP certified coach can be really helpful, or functional medicine, integrative medicine specialist who who has um, you know some nutrition training can be very helpful. Um, that's why that skill set is so helpful because you can have somebody look at the foods that you're eating and identify, aha, you know here's the nutrients that you're not getting. Um, that can be, you know, here's the foods that you can eat to get those nutrients. Right, like that type of expertise can be super super helpful.
0: I could not agree more. I was like waiting for a mic drop. Um, I personally have done many of the eliminations that you mentioned, which I'm going to refer to as diets because in almost all cases for me, it was with a goal of weight loss. Even if I told myself that wasn't what I was trying to do. Yeah. And I know that I was eating a whole lot less nutrients. Like I I remember I think I've told the story before. I remember there was a period of time. This is before I had coal where I was trying to lose weight. And I thought genuinely that I was doing it from a place of nourishment. Um, I was participating in a program which we've talked about before here on the show, which I'm not Mm -hmm. a big fan of. Um, And they assign point values to food. And so I just was obsessed with having zero point food all the time. And I remember talking about how amazing it was that Cool Whip, which is made with, you know, hydrogenated, I don't know what, um, pretzels, which were not adding any nutritional benefit, and water were, like, my three favorite foods. And I, I remember I, like, posted on, you know, Facebook or whatever social media was available back in the ye olden days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my son's 16. So if it was before I was pregnant with him, it was like 20 years ago. Uh, um, and I remember someone saying to me, but Stacy, none of those foods are offering you nutrients. Like you're just, you're eating empty calories. And they were trying to help me see And I just was so mad. I remember like fuming for days about how they had no business telling me what I should or shouldn't eat. And you know what I mean? It was just like one of those things. And now, now I'm able to look at this list that you provide and see, you know, why there are so many common deficiencies in these foods, like for example, calorie restriction, low fat diet is what I was doing at the time, right? And all of the nutrients that you list as commonly deficient, I'm sure I was deficient in because the foods that I were eating, I wasn't taking like, a oh, let me have fish and broccoli every night approach that also yeah. would have had, you know, good results and more nutrients. Like that's not where my mind was. And so I think that's why we focus so much about mindset in this show, because it's not about like what diet you might be doing or, you know, what you might be eliminating. Ultimately, Sarah and I come at anything that we're approaching in the show from the perspective of nourishment and health, which is very hard to parse apart, even for us from diet culture because it is so entwined in everything in our culture. And so we have got to um, just figure out ways in which we can feel like we are loving ourselves and taking care of ourselves while still needing to remove some foods to optimize our health. And that is very hard because it is so tightly wound with diet culture for all of us who've grown up in this world period right like there's yeah. there's nobody who escaped that unless you were like raised on a farm somewhere and you know what I mean like completely devoid of culture like it's for every single person where it is so ingrained in everything we do so um I said I had nothing to add and was waiting for a mic drop and then I went on a <laughs> tangent, but, um, I was just agreeing with you.
1: (laughs) No, I mean, I, I, I think, I think that adds to the conversation. Um, so one of the things that you referenced was, um, something I put in our outline that we didn't actually talk about, which is the nutrients that are commonly deficient in different sort of common diets, fad diets, whatever, however we want to classify those. And, um, and in calorie-restricted programs, the, the nutrients that are most commonly deficient are vitamin A's uh, A, B1, B2, B3, C, and E, as well as calcium, iron, magnesium, potassium, and zinc. In low-fat diets, uh, we miss out on basically all the fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, E, and K, calcium, and omega-3 fats. Um, but even like keto, I mentioned, is commonly deficient in vitamin A, B2, B5, B6, B9, E, D, K, biotin, choline, calcium, chromium, choline. Oh, I mentioned choline twice. Iodine, iron, magnesium, molybdenum, potassium, selenium, zinc, and fiber. Um, and this is why. I mean, again, we can we can put this list in the show notes if people want to go go see more. Um, but it's um, it's why the the nutrient focus is such an important aspect of the autoimmune protocol. One of the first um, exercises that we do in the autoimmune protocol lecture series is actually do a food um, journal that is about looking at micronutrients and identifying, you know, nutrients that we're not getting enough of. The most common on the autoimmune protocol are calcium and vitamin E. And so, um, you know, that whole point of that exercise is to, to see where we're at and then identify, You know, what foods can I be more intentional in consuming more of to be able to meet these shortfalls? And different people will have, based on their food preferences and sort of where they're at in transitioning to the will have different foods um, that they need to focus on in order to meet those nutrient shortfalls. Um, But it becomes a really valuable, um, it's really eye opening exercise in terms of sort of understanding how challenging nutrient sufficiency is with the standard American diet and the sort of the modern food supply. Um, and it isn't until we sort of track with not just looking at macros, which I think is how diet culture has sort of taught us to think about foods, right? Think about it in carb grams, fat grams, and calories. Um, and maybe, you know, if you're uh, an athlete, maybe you think about protein and like, that's about it. Don't even think about fiber unless, you know, unless you're diabetic and you're looking at, you know, the glycemic index of food, very few of us think about foods in terms of vitamins and minerals, um, and things like essential amino acids, right or or functional um, functional nutritional compounds like short chain fatty acids, right? That's not part of most of our um, sort of cultural understanding of food. And that's something that I really care very, very deeply about about fixing, right? I really want to help people understand that actually this micronutrient content of food is the most important thing to focus on. And it really changes our understanding of food when we start to look at micronutrient contents of individual foods. Um, And I feel like I've mentioned the Automate protocol lecture series approximately 6,000 times. It's just felt very relevant for Sandy's question because Sandy's question really went to the heart of one of the, the main mindset pieces that I try to incorporate. It's what I incorporate into um, the uh, what are, what's like optional homework, but is what I call them self-discovery exercises that go with every lecture, as well as the twice-weekly discussions in the, in the private Facebook group for the course. Um, so a lot of what we've talked about in answering Sandy's question are, are things that I really try to incorporate into the AIP lecture series, every single session, adapting it as needed for that particular group of students. So the nice thing about teaching this personally every single session is sometimes certain things become thematic, and it's just because that's what that particular cohort of students needs, or that's what that particular period of time needs. I took one, I taught one session right at the beginning of the pandemic, and it really changed the entire conversation inside that course. So the nice thing about that aspect is I get to adapt based on the need. Of every single cohort of students. So it's worth mentioning as we wrap up that registration for the next session just opened. So the next session, if you're listening to this, uh, as, uh, presently as, as this is a new episode, the next session starts September 13th, which is a Monday and early bird registration will go until the end of July. So if you're interested in joining the course, it's, uh, I mean, the thing I'm, really most proud of ever creating. Um, go, you can just, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes But go, you can just go to my website and you can either find it under shop or find it, scroll down and find it under online courses. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's just an awesome course. So if you found this type of discussion and conversation really helpful and really thought provoking, then, uh, then you're going to lo- you're going to love the AIP lecture series. Let's, what What can I say?
0: Thank you, listeners, for listening to the show and being here. If it's your first time or if you've been here f- since dinosaurs roamed the earth, um, <laughs> what whatever it is that brought you to the show, we're, we're so grateful and thankful. We're excited about what is coming in the future and sharing that with you. So make sure to hit the subscribe button if you're not already subscribed um, so that it will automatically download for you and you won't miss next week's big announcement. Um, But we just want to thank you. And if you enjoyed the show, it's your first time listening. We appreciate your reviews, which help other people find the show as well. So thank you and have a great day. Gosh, this got awkward fast. You'd think it was our Patreon. Normally, like, we go out of our way to end the Patreons awkwardly, um, and I feel like I just
1: did that here. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Do you love the Whole View podcast? We'd love for you to leave us a review wherever you listen and share a podcast with your friends and family.
0: And did you know that you can now get exclusive behind-the-scenes content on Patreon for less than the price of an almond milk matcha a month? Your Patreon membership supports us, and gets you access to a monthly bonus episode.
1: But not for kids' ears, because our bonus content is explicit. You can find us as The Whole View on Patreon for our real, unfiltered thoughts on this week's episode.
0: What's the last part of the body to die? What? What? It's a riddle, Sarah.
1: What is the oh, last part of the body to die? The last part of the body to die. Well, it has to be the brain, because you're not dead until you, your brain's dead. And your brain lives for like four minutes after your heart stops She's beating. She's getting te- clinically technical and talking about the brain.
0: Sarah, it's the pupils, because they dilate. <laughs> you got an actual laugh. <laughs> I told you I- Listen, why don't you just text them to her instead of telling me and then we'll all be happier.
1: Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse
0: you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s.